6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 40 through 44. We are in the book of Jeremiah. We finished chapter 39 last time. And that brings us to a group of chapters 40 through 44 that has to do with a series of events that occur after the fall of Jerusalem. And the chapters 40, 41, and 42 are events that occur in Judah after Babylon has succeeded in you know, crushing Jerusalem and taking Zedekiah, blinding him, taking him captive, and so on. And um, chapter what happened? And chapters forty-three and forty-four of this group of five involve a flight to Egypt and what fall, what what happens there. Jeremiah sort of becomes the unwilling, almost a prisoner, I guess it appears, of a group that take him to Egypt really reluctantly and. All kinds of things befall them there. So this, there's a whole bunch of this is, this is uh, one of those areas about make a neat movie. I mean, there's intrigue and skullduggery and betrayal and all those neat, juicy things that you know qualify you for you know um, cable television. So you're going to see it be kind of a mess. Uh, we're going to see in chapter 40 a guy by the name of Gedaliah who's going to be appointed governor of Judah. Bear in mind now, to give you a refresh your memory, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had laid siege. This is the third siege, third and final siege, and ultimately that siege uh, succeeds. The city falls, and uh, Zedekiah is taken to Riblah, where he is confronted with it by Nebuchadnezzar, his son slain before his eyes, then his eyes plucked out, and he's bound in chains and led off to Babylon. And all the captives were taken captive to Babylon. And uh, a few of the poor were allowed to remain. We talked about that last time. Now, um, what Nebuchadnezzar does then is a, he appoints a governor. And he appoints um, the, um, he actually has a sub-governor by the name of Nebuzar Edun. And uh, this guy is a Babylonian leader, obviously, is number two, I guess, apparently under Nebuchadnezzar. He's very, it turns out you're going to discover, he's familiar with Jeremiah's writings and also Ezekiel's writings by some of the language he uses. It doesn't mean he buys it. It just means he's familiar with it. He knows, he recognizes that Jeremiah was uh, trying to warn his people not to resist. So he, but he speaks to Jeremiah in Jeremiah's idiom, which is interesting. As you can probably imagine, the Neb, the, um, Babylonian leadership had had a belly full of the house of David because Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and all of that were of the Davidic line, and they were as one rebellion after another. So they've had enough of that, finally causing the city to be leveled. Gedaliah is then appointed who's not of the royal line. So they find a, 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 
a Jewish leader that they feel they can deputize uh, and so forth. And by the way, the name Gedalia was found in a seal at Lashish, which is an archaeological find, which is just a point of interest, um, so forth. Gedalia is a pretty good guy, in the, at least towards Jeremiah, because uh, he's shown up several times in her book up till now. He protected Jeremiah back there in chapters 26 and a couple other places, and also he's mentioned Second Kings 22, so he shows up. Gedalia, he's the, he's the deputized governor of the area. Now, it will help you to understand, just to give you an overview. I, I, I sometimes think it's, it's sometimes easier to read this if you sort of know where it's headed. Gedalia is very pious. He is a, he means well, but he's naive. He's not what we would call in today's vernacular street smart. And uh, he's brave, he's honorable, but he's unsuspicious, which is a failing in a leader. If you're at the top, you almost can trust nobody. Um, good intentions are not enough. We've had presidents in our country whose good intentions caused millions of people to be slaughtered by uh, being naive when uh, among uh, evil men. And uh, I'm thinking of the fall of the Shah and that sort of thing. Gedalia lacked any genius for leadership, meant well, but he wasn't suspicious enough to heed warnings that were given him. He could not believe what—he was warned about what uh, was coming. Uh, he was warned that his most trusted—one of his most trusted aides um, was going to assassinate him. And he shrugged that off, didn't believe it, and he, he, he was warned that twice, as a matter of fact— and just wouldn't buy it. A very diabolical conspiracy led by a guy by the name, that had the name of Ishmael. Ishmael, I believe, owed his life to Gedalia, actually. So he's not only diabolic, he's quite ungrateful. But anyway, he, he succeeds in assassinating Gedalia before it's over. We're going to see that happen. And, uh, and then we're going to see um, this guy, Ishmael, lead a, what are these, a band of guerrillas uh, to do some <laughs> pretty wild things. So it's a chapter, in fact, 40 and 41 are almost one narrative of this whole uh, political intrigue, if you will. The Babylonian leader, Nebuzaradan, is going to free Jeremiah. Now, it's a little unclear why he had to be unchained. There are some scholars that believe, because he wasn't presumably chained, the king of Babylon you know, freed him back in chapter 39, as you recall. And yet here we find him, Nebuzaradan, unmanacling him and turning him loose. Some scholars believe that Jeremiah fettered himself in brass to identify with the captives. And the Babylonians wouldn't have it. They, they, unsha they unshackled him. They, they were um, honoring the role that uh, Jeremiah had in trying to convince his people not to resist the Babylonian siege. Uh, they even speak to Jeremiah in idiom in his own idiom, but don't be misled by that. That doesn't mean they they are believers, but they just talk in terms that uh, Jeremiah can, you know, presumably would relate to. But Jeremiah thus is freed to choose where he wants to live, and he declines to go to Babylon and live under the protection and and with some position of 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 uh, stature within the Babylonian court in in Babylon itself. So uh, what he rather would stay is stay in the land, and so the Babylon Nebuzaradan assigns him, if you will, to Gedalia the governor, 
and Jeremiah attaches himself, so to speak, to Gedaliah. And um, we're going to find some interesting uh, insights that the it would appear on the surface that the Babylonian leader understood Jeremiah's message better than the leaders of Judah. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's jump in. Jeremiah chapter 40. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah when he had taken him, being bound in chains, among all who were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, who were carried away captive unto Babylon. In other words, of the Jews from Jerusalem and Judah that were being taken slaves off to Babylon, Nebuzaradan, who was a leader under Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, a captain, a senior military leader, uh, releases Jeremiah, okay? There, um, or we, excuse me, that came verse 2. First of all, they're among those captives. Verse 2, And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said unto him, The Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. Now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he hath said, because ye have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed his voice. Therefore this thing is come upon you. And now, behold, I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thine hand. And if it, this is a Babylonian military general talking. That bizarre language? Now, don't, I wouldn't put too much into this because it doesn't mean he believes this. That he's speaking from the frame of reference that he knew that Jeremiah could speak to. And yet it's very provocative because there's more insight in this declaration by this Babylonian military leader than was evidenced in the entire book by any of the leaders of Judah, from the king on down. Even Zedekiah, who sought Jeremiah on several occasions for insight, didn't seem to really comprehend or accept or absorb the idea that God is set to bring this about as a form of judgment. Now here's this military general, this Babylonian general, visualizing standing here in all his battle ribbons, if I can use that analogy. And he's talking uh, to Jeremiah. And he says some really interesting things. The Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. Visualize the slaughter. The general's armies are taking charge. The, the Jews are being rounded up and shackled and marching off as slaves. And there's been pestilence and bloodshed and famine in the land, and it's just, it's a horrible sight. And from the victors, we have this interesting insight, saying, the Lord thy God, not mine, your God, your God, hath pronounced this evil upon this place, now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he hath said, because ye have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed his voice, therefore this thing has come upon you. That's a summary of the Babylonian. And as a minimum, it implies that they're pretty knowledgeable of the writings of, of not only uh, the people who study the text carefully feel that there's evidence that they understood not only Jeremiah's writings, but also Ezekiel. That would be understandable because Ezekiel is writing a similar story, but in Babylon as a slave. Well, Jeremiah, of course, was in Judah, you know, between the first and second and third sieges. Verse 4, And now, behold, I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thine hand. In other words, he's letting Jeremiah go. That's a special dispensation given to a few, not Jeremiah only, a few other poor are mentioned in chapter 39. They were turned loose and left to, to stay in the land. And he says, uh, uh, 
I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thine hand, and if it seem good unto thee to come with me into Babylon, come, and I will look after thee well. Now that's no empty opportunity. This guy is heavy leverage. We don't know exactly his leverage. I don't believe I forgot to dig into all that. I, but my presumption is he's probably number two or three leader in the land. He is the military leader of the area, having appointed Gedalia. But uh, he is the uh, when he gets back to Babylon, he's a heavy, and he has he's got an important pen, so he can sign the right chits to to uh, provide what he needs. So here he, he's making Jeremiah an offer: come to Babylon. He's not going to Babylon as a slave. He'll go there as a uh, in, in some form, some, some I'm sure, restricted freedom. But he says, I will, look, I will look well after thee. But if it seem ill unto thee to come with me into Babylon, forbear. Behold, all the land is before thee. Where it seemeth good and convenient for thee, go, or to go, there go. Now this guy is also very sensitive to Jeremiah. He offers Jeremiah the opportunity to come to Babylon and be well taken care of. You know, he'll get the, the top quality ration cards. He'll have uh, the right kind of credit cards. No problem. We'll take care of it. But he also recognized that Jeremiah's emotional identity, his cultural background, his commitment to the land, his, his uh, commitment to the Lord might cause him to be uncomfortable even in the capital of the world. So he says, okay, if you, if you don't want to come, if you don't want to come with me, Babylon, forbear. Don't do it. That's fine. No problem. No feelings hurt. I understand. Behold, all the land is before you, the land of Judah. That was that's his homeland. Where where it seemeth good and convenient for thee to go, there go. So he'll he gives them carte blanche. Go where you like. Verse five. Now while he was not yet gone back, he said, Go back also to Gedalia, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan whom the king of Babylon hath made governor over the cities of Judah, then dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever it seemeth convenient unto thee to go. See the captain of the guards, oh, excuse me, so the captain of the guard uh, gave him a victual and a reward and let him go. So he's got food and he's got a reward, doesn't mention how much, but he apparently got some pocket money, which isn't bad for a guy who's on the losing side, right? and turns him loose. And the story just begins. Now, from Jeremiah's point of view, it's perhaps, a, in, 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 in an emotional sense, a dismal climax to a 40-year ministry. Because here over a reign of, a, you've seen, what, five kings, I think it is, uh, he's had a very bitter message to somehow preach to a people who would not hear, and he knew they wouldn't hear, and he had to preside over the decline of his nation. But now it's that part of it's over. His ministry's not finished. There's more coming. But the main event, would, it would seem, is behind us. The Jerusalem has finally fallen. The nation is enslaved, and they're on their way to serve, if you will, uh, in Chaldea. Jeremiah's turned loose. Verse 6, Then went Jeremiah unto Gedalia, the son of Ahikam, to Mizpah, and dwelt with him among the people that were left in the land. Now, Mizpah is um, a name that shows up a lot in the days of the judges and the early days of the kings. Um, it's going to end up being apparently a sort of major capital, administrative center. That's where Gedalia sort of is, is either, either chooses or is assigned to administer from. It's not, uh, it's not uh, surprising that the Babylonians would take a 
jaundiced view of them administering from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is just a source of grief to the Babylonians. So while the thing is under a governorship, fine, but let's operate out of Mitzvah, not out of, out of Jerusalem. Um, it's also interesting to see Jeremiah's choice, because Jeremiah could indeed uh, have chosen to um, go to Babylon. And that's not, on the face of it, an obvious decision not to go. There were many men of God who assisted their people by attaining leverage at the palace on behalf of the people. Mordecai, days of Esther. Uh, we can think of um, Nehemiah. Shortly, you know, not shortly, but sometime thereafter, as a, 70 years later, when uh, Nehemiah, because he was cupbearer to the king, benefited the nation by being able to get the authority to rebuild the city, having had already the authority to build this, the, the temple. Moses is another example, okay? Except there again, Moses is perhaps a more interesting example because Moses apparently made the same choice that, uh, that uh, Jeremiah did, chose rather to, to live on the backside of the desert than to enjoy the, um, you know, the, um, the wealth and the, the, uh, the luxuries of the court. Rather, ra to, chose rather to suffer with his people. So uh, Jeremiah, uh, not knocking these other people, Jeremiah appears to be led not to be at the court of Babylon, where his career in concept could have maybe paralleled Daniel's, whereby even though be, by being still faithful to Judaism, as he understood it, to, uh, to um, at the same time maybe um, have some kind of a career uh, uh, that would benefit his people. Rather, Jeremiah appears to be led to take his lot with his people. He would rather, uh, in his mind, I imagine, be a, a prophet of God than a tool of the Chaldeans. And um, uh, we could probably dwell on this a little bit to draw some parallels. How many of us um, have the insight of Jeremiah? That is, to be in the world but not of it. Jeremiah clearly uh, was, was uh, uh, making some choices here. Uh, he, in effect, was turning his back on the tyranny, the cruel tyranny, of paganism. He wanted no part of the Babylonian court, and but rather to, to eke out what existence he might in this famine-ridden land that's been left uh, to the few survivors. So um, that's what he chooses to do. And uh, now we get to uh, verse 7 on. And before I get into that, let me give you a little background here. The Babylonians weren't absolutely thorough. There were those that in the siege and the tumult of the battle split, hid, went up for the hills, becoming a group that we would probably be tempted to call guerrillas. Military guys, by no means shy, by no means unskilled, but and by no means um, uh, submissive, who recognized that uh, it might be smarter to hide out and, and, and uh, live to fight another day. So we have a group of uh, guerrillas that end up in the hills, and um, uh, they become not only a problem, but the root source of some conspiracies and uh, plots and some real, real skullduggery. So that's what's being introduced here for the uh, good part, for the rest of this chapter. So pick up verse 7. Now, when all the captains of the forces who were in the fields, even they and their men, 
heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, the governor of the land, and had committed unto him men and women and children and the poor of the land, of them that were not carried away captive to Babylon. Then they came to Gedaliah, to Mitzpah, even Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and uh, Johanan, the, and, and Jonathan, the sons of uh, Kariah, and uh, Sariah, the son of Tanhamuth, or Tanhameth, and um, the sons of Ephi, the Nephtophathite, not your everyday Nephtophathite there, but anyway, and uh, Jezaniah, and the son of Machathite, they and their men. Now, there's a bunch of these guys. The one you want to watch for is a couple of them here keep an eye on that you will see come up again and again. There's Ishmael, who's the, the rabble-rousing leader of this bunch, and Johanan, who will show up also as a pretty rousing, pretty aggressive guy. Now, these guys, I get the impression, were professional military guys. They are revolutionaries. They're, uh, I, I, if I, I visualize them with sidearms. They're, they're not, uh, you know, anything but uh, aggressive. Now, the one thing, well, I'll come to that later. I'll come to that later. Um, yeah, let's just go on and then I'll plug you some background that'll help you understand the story, but, but uh, let's keep moving here. Verse, uh, verse uh, 9. And Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the son of Shephim, swore unto them and to their men, saying, Fear not to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. Now what's behind this, or at least apparently suggested, is that these guys were renegades. They were in the fields, meaning they had hid out. They were in the mountains, and they'd heard, not only they obviously knew that Jerusalem had fallen, but when they heard that Gedaliah was put as the local governor and set up administrative headquarters Mitzvah, they go there. Apparently Gedaliah had the authority to grant them some kind of amnesty. Fundamentally, the Babylon, you know, they were like deserters or, or they were um, uh, targets, if you will. Of, there, must, there are probably warrants out for their arrest, in effect. But Gedaliah points out that if they and their men say, fear not to serve the Chaldeans, dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, it shall be well with you. In other words, don't make any trouble. Be subservient to our new rulers. That's going to be all right. You're not going to be carried off and you're not going to be made slaves. You're not going to be shackled and carried off to Babylon. You're allowed to dwell on the land, but he wants peace. And the presumption of being governor, he apparently had some authority to grant them the authority to remain. Verse 10, As for me, behold, I, I will dwell at Mizpah to serve the Chaldeans, who will come unto us, but ye gather wine and summer fruits and oil and put them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that ye have taken. Now here's the insight. See, these, these marauding bands have taken cities. They had their hideouts. They had their, apparently had their places where they, they, uh, they operated from. And so these weren't just uh, vagrants. These were guys that represented semi-rural power blocks. And he's saying, fine, no problem, you know, uh, take, take, take some uh, 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 materials here, put them in your vessels, and go ahead and dwell in your cities, no problem. So that, what's implied here is that Gedalia had the authority to grant this kind of uh, a relief of um, exposure. These guys were, in effect, fugitives, but he's saying, hey, if you serve the Galdeans, uh, everything will be fine. You need to understand that I'm, in, you know, I'm, I'm pledging my allegiance to our new bosses. 
Okay, they're in charge, you know. Verse 11, likewise, when all the Jews that were in Moab and among the Ammonite and in Edom, these are neighboring pagan uh, places, that some of the Jews under all this per persecution had fled to, all right? And that were in all the countries, heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah, and that he had set over them Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, even all the Jews, returned out of all the places where they were driven, and they came to the land of Judah, to Gedaliah, unto Mitzvah, and gathered wine and summer fruits very much. Babylonians are not stupid. See, instead of having a scorched earth policy, their concept was, which I think is a very, very perceptive one, instead of just going through and slaughtering everybody, hey, they let a remnant, the poor, stay there, and also they let delegate the authority that those that would come back and want to settle and keep it peaceful, fine, no problem. They just want, they want it quiet, okay? And they also did interesting thing, they pointed a Jew in charge, Gedalia. And as long as you guys behave yourselves, hey, we'll work with it. Now, a couple things you got to know to really smell what's coming. Gedaliah was not of the house of David. He was appointed by the Babylonians to be in charge. Very straightforward administrative procedure. He also was a pious man, and they apparently had a lot to commend him as being a guy that people would rally around. Evidence of that, they were rallying around him. When they heard that the Babylonians left a remnant there, didn't just scorch it, they left a remnant, and they put a Gedaliah in charge. Hey, that's all right. Let's go back home. Maybe it'll be okay. Maybe we'll manage. So the, the, the choice was probably not a bad one. What Gedalia didn't think through, because he wasn't very politically savvy, he should have thought, now, this guy Ishmael is of the house of David. Uh-oh. You see, we got a pretender to the throne here. He's not of the royal part of the family, but he is one of the other descendants of David. He can claim Davidic ancestry. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.